the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. Conversation been rocking and rolling for two hours. Thanks to everybody who comes to get it going. Uh, We love the community that we are building here at the Cover 3 Podcast. It is a Monday. That means this is the time for a pun further review. When we go live at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time, it is in the thick of all the swirling college football chaos. We give you our instant reactions, but then... We get a time to uh, circle back, find the things that we missed, as well as recap some of the late night action. Also, we'll be looking at the AP Top 25 changes, some interesting ballots in the award-winning segment, Poll Assassin. But we begin with an upon further review of sorts, if only because it is a, a news headline from the biggest game that we had on Saturday Marcus Freeman, yeah, as we were t- discussing Ohio State's 17-14 win against Notre Dame in South Bend, the 10 men on the field situation was just, you know, we, wait, there were 10 men, you know, we kind of discussed it, and then we had a little bit of Marcus Freeman's explanation that we were able to relay, but we weren't really able to, to dig into this. So um, if you have not gone back to check it, obviously on the game-winning touchdown, Chip Trainum up the middle uh, with one second remaining, or 10 men on the field. There was not a fourth defensive lineman. And when you're talking about a short yardage goal-to-go situation, being down defensive lineman is not ideal. What do we make of uh, how Marcus Freeman has described how it unfolded? Well, hold on. First of all, one, two, three, four. Okay, we're all here. Um, It's... It's an odd explanation. It feels like the kind of explanation you get from a coach who's trying not to, you know, call out one of his coaches or anybody else on the staff beef, you know, publicly. But, like, we didn't want to take the penalty. We didn't have any timeouts. Like, this was the game. The half a yard you might have lost due to the penalty was maybe you can argue, like, that half yard was the difference because they did nearly stop him. It was a very close play. But, man, you can't have 10 guys on the field. That is just bad execution it's bad communication and for a game in which notre dame played well for the most part and had a very good chance to make a statement with a big win over ohio state for it to come down to that where it's like okay you know what ohio state probably still scores there even if there are 11 guys in the field it's not hard to get a half yard in this game 
but the fact that you could point to it as easily as you can and have all of us discussing it like we are right now is just it's it's not a good look and it's not a it's it's a big mistake in a big spot yeah i mean it's a huge tactical blunder um i watched his explanation and he did say that he did not want to give ohio state a free shot at it which basically means if ohio state had hurried up and snapped the ball as the defenders running onto the field and they score the flags thrown you decline the penalty if they don't score, they get to line up and try it again. The proper thing to do here, though, if you hadn't taken off your headset, like the video clearly shows him doing, as the Notre Dame players appear to be waving to the sideline like, hey, we're, we're short a man, is to have the guy ready to run in after from the booth you're, you're being told on the second down, hey, uh, we're, we're short a man. If Ohio State looks like they're trying to hurry up, you don't send it, right? If they clearly are kind of moseying back to the huddle and looking over to the side like they were, then he's got to go. And he's got to sprint in there. Like that was poor situational preparedness by Notre Dame, and it lost him the game basically. Like I'm it not saying Ohio State would not have too, right? Yes, that that's was, the yeah. most egregious part. They of did. It. They were ten men for two plays. Right. Ohio State's coaches in the booth probably saw that, and I'm like, wait, like that's a natural bubble to run the football. If Ohio State had a timeout, we would have never gotten to the third down because the, the quarterback's just going to audible to some kind of run. That's a natural run bubble. You're scoring pretty easily. Like. Notre Dame defended that play extremely well for the fact they only had 10 men on the field. Uh, But, yeah, that was a huge blunder. And, you know, coaching experience matters, Um, you know, situational experience. On the flip side, look at how Ohio State knew they could take a shot. There was seven seconds. Like, they took the one shot, the pass, because they could get two shots at it. Like, you just saw a pretty, you know, a stark contrast. I do like Tom alluded to. I do. I, I give Marcus Freeman a ton of credit for standing up there, coming up with an excuse. Probably someone is on that sideline that is assigned to make sure what rotation is in, who's supposed to be in there. There's for him to stand up. I do give him credit for that, but it should be criticized. And I'm sure Notre Dame fans are upset about it, but it was completely mismanaged at the end of the game. I mean, he was a G five coordinator as, as late as 2020. Like this guy does not have a lot of big time coaching experience at, at at the high level. Like he's learning on the job. This is the risk you take when you hire a guy with this little experience. Do they play with eleven guys on defense at the G five level? <laughs> you do. <laughs> I don't know fair. if that really factors into this one. This was just dumb mistake. Yeah, That's it, all the- I mean, I'm not. We're not trying to fire Marcus Freeman. Same, no, like the lack state. of experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love oh, him. There's I some Notre Dame fans who want to fire him right now. Yeah, exactly. I think he's great for the program. I think he'll be fine. I think he can recruit. I think he's a great I, – I actually think there's a chance he goes to the NFL. Like, if they can get to the place where there are 10, 11 wins, knocking on the door of the playoff, I think he's an NFL-caliber candidate. But you're seeing on-the-job training is what you're seeing happen. And you saw it, unfortunately, come back to bite him. Would it made the difference? Maybe. Maybe not. But it's just – it's – a blunder that unfortunately for him played out in the national stage. I think the bigger question is why I didn't Ohio State go with the Bush push just to really troll and give the PTSD because that was the same end zone, yep. same exact situation. And that's exactly what I was thinking while watching. I was like, oh, come on, do like Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, do like USC, go with a Bush push here and win this game. Did you guys watch what Washington State did with its, with its Bush push? Yes. What specifically? Was, all right, so if you guys haven't seen this, right? So that they, they they align double wing, right? Mm-hmm. So you get a regular defensive lineman on the goal line, relatively regular from Oregon State. Then they actually do like a quick motion to where they're both behind him, mm-hmm. and, and then it, they, like, it forces Oregon State, yeah, and then they push, which is great. And the next evolution of that is actually taking it, and you basically run tight end around because you have natural down block angles. Oh, like, everybody they didn't, they didn't is going to be crashing to the middle, expecting yeah. it, and so then you've got the counter. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. if if one of the if, if one of those wings that is now motioned like from you know double tight set to basically like a inverted full house backfield type set to, to push if, if they can handle the football at all like that's a great it was pretty cool I haven't seen teams motion to this and that, that's a that's a cool setup Sorry to I know Did it's, it's guys, a fun for the review we we can talk about neat stuff in this sport. Do you guys think they should uh like the NFL kicked around banning it. Think the, you think the college football in general, like football in general, should look at banning it? <laughs> if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm screaming ban the hell. Right, exactly. Yes. There's already <laughs> enough rules that your favor offense. You need one more thing I got to worry about. No, you shouldn't ban it. It's perfect. There's nothing 
there's nothing dangerous about it that's any more dangerous than any other play. It's just impossible to stop. And this yeah. is I, I tweeted something about this yesterday. It's just one of these weird things. And again, we're getting off topic here. But football has been like a copycat sport for so freaking long that anytime somebody does anything that has success with it, there are like 50 more teams doing it the next week. The Eagles got to a Super Bowl damn near doing nothing else but the Jalen Hurts getting into the QB sneak on every short yardage situation to keep that offense on the field. And teams still aren't doing it with regularity. Like, I understand Jalen Hurts squats 500 pounds and he's a little different than most quarterbacks. And the offensive line exactly. is like unique. But offensive linemen are strong everywhere you go. And you look at the NFL again, like I saw yesterday, Buffalo, who has Josh Allen at quarterback in a fourth and one, pretending they were going to go for it, has the tight end motion and get under center while Josh Allen and the running back are in shotgun center. Like, I don't know what's going on. Maybe this will confuse the other team. And then they don't snap the ball. Just put Josh Allen under center and run the QB sneak, stupid. Anyways, back to uh, Notre Dame. Well, listen, I like it because it is like football in the 1900s, right? Where you're just like slamming bodies together, fighting for every single yard, glorified rugby. So anything that's going to be a little bit of a throwback, I'll, I'll go ahead and take. I mean, let's bring back two-handed passes too, right? You know, like <laughs> like the Dr. Pepper challenge, but you know, we're going to be doing that at the goal line. That's, that's the next thing we see from Drake May. Forget the left-handed flip. Now we're just going to go two-handed chest pass on the way in. Tebow um, invented that, right? Yeah. A <laughs> uh, little bit of recruiting news uh, from over the weekend. We've got a big time commitment for the Texas Longhorns. Bud, what should we know about Brandon Baker and this win for Steve Sarkeesian? Uh, Brandon Baker's a stud. Brandon Baker is the number one offensive tackle in the country. And of course, it's always good to get the big men. Uh, the whole SEC's line of scrimmage thing is, is, I think, kind of true, not to the exclusion of all other leagues, like some of the coaches in that league would, would tell it to you. But Brandon Baker, kid out of California, number one off to tackle in the country. It's especially important this year because this is one of the worst tackle classes that we can remember. So it like it's a zero-sum game always. But this year, it's a real zero-sum game, y'all. Like There are not many – there are hardly any great offensive tackles this year in, in this 2024 recruiting cycle. There's there's not many good. I mean, you're you're seeing a lot of schools reach or having to tell their their collectives, hey man, we're gonna need to pay up a lot for some, you know, kind of mid mid-level G five tackle uh this this offseason. So huge recruiting win for Texas, beat out all the big boys for him. And uh I mean that's Texas has has it rolling in a way on the lines of scrimmage that they have not even a lot of times, like under Mac, they were not crazy physical and push people around. Like Sark is building some real physical big bodies there in Austin, and it's uh, that's good to see for them. You know what? There aren't many in the college football field either. That's one thing I'm kind of noticing this year as I'm watching. Like there, there aren't any great tackles coming in this 2024 class, and I don't see any on the field right now. Like, oh, I see some, but was well, Fashano? Is he? I think there's a lot more projection than production to this point. Like, I just, it's, I don't know. Like, at at this time of year, there's usually four or five guys I've kind of identified as, oh, that guy's going to be a first-round pick. This year, there's like two. And then there's a couple guys where it's like, okay, he'll probably be a first-round pick like Fashanu just because of his size, his athleticism, and all that kind of projection stuff. Man, I just, I don't know. I'm going to blame it on the flexibility thing where they're trying to make everybody too flexible now instead of just getting some big old-fashioned maulers up there beating the crap out of people. Ooh, look, he can do splits. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But can he truck that 270-pound defensive end? No. But he can bend really well when he's getting pushed back. (laughs) Mims at Georgia's hurt, obviously. Yes. He's got like a first-round body. You think Joe Alt had a a pretty good game against Ohio State? Yeah. Yeah, Joel Joel's good. legitimately good. Yeah. yeah. If you question Notre Dame's offensive line, you're questioning the guards and the right tackle. The, yeah. the left tackles, he knows what he's doing. Joel yeah. will be starting for an NFL team next year. It's not yes. going to be any kind of warm-up period. Yeah. We think the Michigan guys are good. Just limited sample because they only play like 20 snaps a game. So. <laughs> there, I, we'll, we'll do Pole Assassin next because I do think that we've got some interesting conversations about whether or not – um, what you think a team can be should matter compared to what a team is. Because there are teams in the top five that have put together better arguments based on the consistency of dominance and production than the ones who came in and look really good on paper. So we'll get into that. Plus, upon further review, next. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky 
co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Every single Monday, we like to take a quick look at the AP Top 25, some of the big movements, and some of the ballots in honor of Jeff Banks and one of the most chaotic Halloweens ever. We like to call it Pole Assassin. Georgia. Number one again, but six different teams got first place votes in this week's AP Top 25 after week four. Uh, Michigan at number two got one first place vote. Texas at number three got two first place votes. Ohio State at number four got one first place vote. Florida State, which dropped a spot to number five, got three first place votes. The second most of any other team. Penn State at six, no first place votes. And then Washington, the Washington Huskies with a single first place vote. And that came from Kirk Bowles, from the Austin American Statesman. So what does it say that the guy in Austin is looking around and being like, yeah, I'll tell you the best team in the country is. It's not down the road. It's out there in Seattle. Tells you that Kirk Bowles is smart. I mean, scoreboard watching. Ooh, so so you think Washington does not deserve – no, no, no. I just think he's probably super dialed into Texas, remembers what happened against Wyoming. He's probably like, ah, I don't know if this team's – and then, oh, my gosh, look at the numbers that Washington puts up, and let's go ahead Washington, and put them one. I get Washington, Washington beat them in the awesome. bowl, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, oh, like, good point. Washington beat Texas in the bowl, and I know I know Texas – like, guys on, on Texas were pretty impre- impressed with Washington's physicality. So, I'm, I'm sure Bowles has probably heard some of that inside wagon from them. Washington is up to number two in the new CBS Sports 133. Um, And CBS Sports 133 also has the same situation where um, you've got Georgia getting first place votes, Ohio State getting first place votes, Michigan getting first place votes, and Washington getting first place votes. Big shakeup there in those rankings as well. The Washington rankings are as low as number eight. And again, as I mentioned, it was as low as number nine, excuse me. And again, as high as number one. What's, what's fair for the Washington Huskies, a team that is beating its opponents by an average of average score of 49.8 to 17? Mm-hmm. All First FBS team. opponents, but no ranked teams and no, no one on the caliber of, for example, Ohio State's win against Notre Dame. What's fair for the Washington Huskies? First of all, Washington is as low as 10 on one ballot. Jeez. Brian Howell of the Daily Camera in Boulder. He does not believe in the Washington Huskies. Um, what's fair is this team should be in the top five. If you're actually basing it on what's happened on the field. Now, if you want to do power poll projections and all that kind of stuff, I don't think Washington would be top five on most of those. But, like, Georgia's number one. I get it. I don't really blame anybody for still putting Georgia at number one. They've won 21 straight games. They've won two straight national titles. They haven't lost, even if they've looked kind of how in the hell anybody can look at Michigan this year and just keep putting it at number two when you've got a team like Washington that sure its schedule might not be, you know, as good as some others, but look at Michigan's schedule, who the hell have they played? And Washington is absolutely trouncing teams. I can't remember who put the stat out, but you know, we talked about game control. Washington, 68% of their snaps this year, they have had a 14-point lead or more. Nobody else (laughs) in the country is higher than 57%. They are dominating the teams that they are playing, and that is the sign of a good team. So I have no idea. If you have Michigan ahead of Washington on your ballot, you haven't watched football this year. You've only just stuck with what you thought before the season began, and you just keep putting it down until somebody loses. Texas could be ranked ahead of Washington. I won't argue against you. Florida State can be ahead of them. I won't argue against you. Ohio State, these teams with big wins, I will not argue against you. 
But if you're putting Michigan ahead of Washington based on 2023, you just don't pay attention. Completely agree. Like, I totally understand Georgia being where they are because we have seen Georgia build to a ridiculous level before throughout the season. Although last year, obviously, they trounced Oregon, so they were not building. But in prior years, they certainly have done so. And we, there are pretty good reasons why Georgia at times hasn't played great. Like We can point to them. They have a lot of guys out, right? Like the entire running back room has gone. They're playing like some white walk-on receiver at running back for a little while. Yeah, Ladd hasn't even played. Right, Ladd McConkey hasn't played. Mims has been out. Like they, their 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 sack leader from last year has been out. Marvin Jones Jr. has been out. Right, they've been very banged up, and yet they're still largely handling business. They shut down Spencer Rattler, who I think is playing like a top five quarterback in the country so far this year, especially (laughs) with all that pressure on him. Like Rattler's gonna gonna be the number three quarterback in this draft, I think, that nobody's talking about right now with how damn well he's playing and handling pressure and the ridiculous throws he's making. It is so, really one of the best stories in the sport this year. Yeah, I, I get Georgia. Michigan has been largely embarrassed in two playoff games that they made. And they have shown they can play as a playoff caliber team, but not a national title caliber team. So far this year, Washington has played a tougher schedule and has played it better than what Michigan has played. Like if Michigan's just playing possum, we should treat them like they're like potentially playing possum, which they could be. Like they're playing 50 snaps a game, they're slower than some of the service academies. They're not trying to show much. And because their schedule is such a complete joke, <laughs> they don't really have to. But we shouldn't reward them for doing that so far. Like, let's let's reward Washington. I, if, I, if we're going just off what we've seen this year, Michigan has not looked like a top five team. Right? They haven't I mean, covered like a spread they, yet. They screwed around with Bowling Green. They allowed a terrible Rutgers offense to score. Uh, I mean, if you're going just off this year, Florida State and Washington are clearly over them. I think it's all so like I think if you did the history, you know, matters, Georgia won back to back, you don't knock them from the top. I can see a little bit where you say, hey, what's what about Michigan's history? Back to back Big Ten champs. I get that a little bit. I almost feel like you almost have to be married to those two together. Then if your eye test or game control, I think it's Washington, they're your number one team. And if it was resume based, I think Florida State would have like who has two better wins. Which is kind of funny because people are diminishing the Clemson win as if, oh, they weren't ranked. They're a bunch of trash this year. I think it's kind of rich, you know, just considering where we are in college football, if that's where you want to ding them for. That's like more of an ACC hatred thing coming from SEC people than anything. Um, but I think it's great. The fact that we do have six, you know, I think I think it's awesome. I love the debate because I'm tired of looking up and it's, what is it, 66 votes unanimous for Georgia mm-hmm. number one. Like, this is awesome. The fact, because they're all making really good cases and you can justify each one by whatever metric you want. I think it's great. Fun comparison. All right. Wins over big 10 teams. Washington won. Michigan, none road wins (laughs) over big 10 teams. Washington won road games at all. Michigan, none. Like they've been playing nobody at home. Washington's gone on the road and beaten Michigan state and beat the hell out of them. Yeah. That was the other thing is, um, boy, like you can't say that the schedule was put together to be easy. You know, Boise State is one of your opponents right there uh, at Michigan State. Who knew the the situation that was going to be when you draw up that contract, you know, two, three years ago or whatever. And then, look, Cal, Spavs boys, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get out there and they'll do something, right? I mean, that's not a total bottom feeder type team. It's, <laughs> I, it is, you think that they are the 12th team in the Pac-12? Can I be skeptical on Washington for, for a couple minutes here? 100 line. Like, they are doing what they have done, and they cannot control their schedule. However, Cal's passing offense just sucks out loud. They got, I think, the backup for Tulsa, if I recall, for most of that game. But regardless, like, Tulsa is not a good passing offense. They got Michigan State, which is a – I mean, you see how bad of a player Peyton Thorne is, and he left. Auburn portaled him out of Michigan State, and they lost their two good receivers. Michigan State's passing offense is terrible. They have not seen a – now, neither is Michigan, but neither of these teams have played a competent passing offense, and they're going to see a lot of them in the final seven games. So we don't know if Washington's pass defense is any good. Last year, they got lit up. I haven't seen any like re- reasonable reason to believe they're improved because I think they've played nothing but really bad passing offenses so far. So it's just an incomplete grade for me on what we thought the weaknesses were for Washington. 
The strength is still the strengths. I'll also say, well, Washington is no doubt a wagon. If there is a weakness on it so far that I've seen, it's the defensive line. Like, there's no Vita Vea on this Washington team, and there there's been, they've had guys like that in the last few years. I don't see one of them on this defensive line this year, which I think, again, could be problems for them. It's just the thing Washington does have that nobody on their schedule has, except maybe USC, they have an NFL quarterback and three NFL wide receivers. And when you have that, you are going to do just fine in this sport. Where do you guys think is appropriate fair for Michigan? Because I am way low on them because I'm more of a resume base and I want to ding them for the schedule as much as possible. Like I have them at nine. It doesn't think I think they're going to finish the season nine. I mean, shoot, I think I, I picked them to win the national title, but they have to like earn it and work their way up. Like the teams I had them, like Utah may not be pretty, but they absolutely have better wins. Oregon, better wins. Penn State, better wins. Washington, Ohio State, Texas, Florida State, Georgia. Georgia's the only other one that that's where it's like, Michigan fans are like, hey, how can you be so hard on us and not on Georgia? I say valid argument. I'm just giving Georgia the number one spot just because they're back-to-back. I've got them six on my ballot for the CBS Sports 133. I think I had them at five or six. I can't remember. Yeah. But I think that's fair. I think – I mean, I mentioned that game control stat. Michigan is second in the country. They have. It's not like they've been in close games. It's just they – while Washington – just continues to beat the hell out of you. Michigan is happy to just kind of sit on the ball. But, yeah, I, I think if you're basing it off of how teams have played this year, they should be five or six because of the schedule, because of the fact they haven't played any. But there's one voter out there, Robert Cessna, from the Bryan College Station Eagle in College Station, Texas, who is got Michigan at number one on his ballot, which is I would love to hear the logic behind that. Any other um, rankings that uh, you know drew your attention? From this week? Yeah. Yeah. So when you guys do your top 130, you got who all did? All three of you or just Tom and Chip? Just Tom and Chip. Just uh, So when you email, because I used to do a top 25 at ESPN, and this happened probably several times over a couple years. I would email it, and they'd be like, hey, you left out Michigan. And I'd be like, oh, crap. Like, oh, well, let me let me fix it. That they do that for you guys, right? Like if there's a out of whack, especially in the top twenty-five, right? How can that not happen in the AP? How can that happen in the Associated Press? Because I was, I almost lost my mind when we went to the poll tracker and I saw our guy Chris <laughs> Kenny from San Diego Union, whatever, Curtin right for, and I'm like, he has Florida State twenty-second. What's it? Did he go to Florida? Like what's? And then he has Florida at seven, and I'm losing my mind. And Florida State fans are going nuts. And then he comes out and says, oh, oop, whoopsie daisy. Like, I didn't know we had whoopsie daisy pulled. We like that just because it does, it probably is the reason they dropped. Is, could that be enough of a drag on it that they would drop after the win? Uh, he, they, they, he updated it. They uh, fixed it's, it. So they yeah, it, it's also Kirk Kenny. I, I did okay. think, and I, I don't know Kirk Kenny. Bad, maybe, Kirk. maybe it takes a little while for, for news to, to reach the San Diego, but. Uh, yeah, I thought his ballot was was really uh, was really poor, and just it, it it felt lazy to me. Like like, does he not realize the SEC this year hasn't proved the damn thing? It doesn't look good. And we, we're 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 leaving Ole Miss ranked. Okay, we snuck Florida back in there, got Missouri and Tennessee. Like, do we need to rank this many SEC teams when this league is yes. not good this year? Like, what are we doing? I but I like he Tennessee. left Notre Dame over Florida State. <laughs> Florida State has beat the crap out of apparently a really good LSU team. And has a close win on the road at Clemson. Like, there's no argument that Notre Dame's resume is, is on paper better than Florida State, or that Notre Dame's a better team than Florida State. I'm sorry. They're, I like that not. he's got Penn State number three because there is sure. there is a a very um, interesting because Penn State, you know, they've got the win against Iowa. Um, you know, you go back, you look at the West Virginia game, and with everything that West Virginia has done since, it sort of takes on a little bit of a different look. The Penn State is the best team of the three is a is a fun thought experiment. I'm not there yet, but I'm at least willing to entertain that Penn State is the best of those three teams, Michigan and, and Ohio State being the other one. So I'll, I'll give our guy Kirk some credit for going bold on the Nittany Lions. I'm pretty sure he's the high man there. Anything else from the, uh, let's see. Ole Miss oh. shouldn't be ranked, period. Oh, yeah. I talked so about this. you inside the top 20? Wait, what? what? He had TCU in his poll? He has TCU 19th. I, th- th- yeah, I was like, oh my God. 
It, it, wow. Yeah, this was one of the worst ballots I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> like even taking out the Florida Florida State mix up, which is understandable. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think Ole Miss should be ranked. That bothers me. I went into that enough on Saturday, though, so I won't go any further. Uh, it is like you were kind of just touching about it, but it is funny to see it play out when it happens every week. 20 Ole Miss, 21 Tennessee, 22 Florida, 23 Missouri. Again, that is the man. It's really tough to find the top 25 teams. Uh, what SEC team haven't I ranked yet portion of an AP voters ballot? Because that is what happens every single week. We're just some mid SEC teams get into the bottom of the rankings over like undefeated teams. But yeah, but Missouri is by far the most justifiable of those. Yes. They have a decent non-conference win. And also, I, I'm fine with having Tennessee in there still after losing on the road to Florida. And I'm fine with having Florida in there after beating Tennessee. I mean, why Florida is got blown out there? by Utah. By yeah. Utah's backup. Utah has since played close games with the backup against UCLA and against Baylor. Like Florida's performance against Utah is the worst FBS performance against Utah so far this year. I mean, and like, so I guess are, for, the, the, for the 16 voters that have Kentucky on their ballot, Kentucky would also fall into that. Uh, I'm just looking for an SEC team that isn't but on the At least they haven't right? lost. Oh, it, it looks it, like crap. I mean, like, like the offense is not coming together. You know, it, it, I'd rather have James Madison. Yeah, like, but, but how, about, how about Louisville? Louisville four and zero. Yeah, let's go. Jawar Jordan's having a great season. Louisville's played a tougher schedule than Kentucky has by far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there, uh, there are nine voters who have Ole Miss in their top eighteen. Like Syracuse went and played a road game against a Power Five team and won. Mm-hmm. We, we, we can't reward undefeated Syracuse, Maryland. Speaking of two power five chip, wins, yeah. um, yeah, that's that's for a pun for the review. Don't oh, you worry. Okay, well, just one yeah. All right, all right. Coming up on the other side, it's our chance to go back, peel back the layers of the weekend, and dive into some storylines that we might not have hit on the instant reaction show, and of course that late night action, which had some of us on upset alert. Good God! Get into the Trojans and more next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, every single Monday, we like to go under the hood. We call it a pun for the review. There were terrible calls. Do you want to go ahead and jump in? After further review. After further review. After further review. All right. Second chance to dive into uh, UCLA, Utah. Bud, what uh, what stood out to you from uh, from that game that we should take moving forward for both the Utes and the Bruins? Uh, Utah's defense is still really good. Uh, Utah's offense is still largely terrible. Um, but there was some... I thought UCLA was going to unlock another level of its offense that maybe it had been holding back, right? Because they had played kind of a joke schedule, Coastal, San Diego State, and an FCS team. And I thought they would get Dante Moore's legs more involved in this game. And one of the problems that they had was that Utah had not really seen him keep the football much this year. They would basically tag an RPO on some of the runs, but they would not tag a keep element to it. And I think Utah kind of got in in Dante Moore's head early in this game. Um, He threw a pick six on an RPO on the first First play of the game. Yeah. Uh, And then after that, it did not look like UCLA had tagged much like quarterback keep type stuff off some of these runs. 
and Utah ran down UCLA runs from like the backside you know, defender who normally would be kept honest uh, by a quarterback keep or, or maybe some of the RPO stuff uh, over and over again. I mean, they probably – guys, it was like four or five runs, which is kind of a, a lot uh, to be chased down by the backside guy because he's not being kept honest. So I'm curious how UCLA is going to evolve that. Uh, for Utah, I mean, just they're missing a ton of guys. They play crazy hard. They don't make a lot of defensive mistakes ever. Like they just, you have to earn every single little bit. And for them, uh, they they made a freshman look like a freshman. Like he made some nice throws, but in such a low scoring game, every, every mistake matters quite a bit. And they just kind of keep getting it done relatively, obviously. I mean, they scored one offensive touchdown. <laughs> not not great, but they they found a way to win. I mean, they re- go ahead. I, I was just going to ask, how happy is Kyle Whittingham right now? Because, like, let's look at the landscape. Bud just went over it. Utah's got a whole bunch of injuries. Their starting quarterback hasn't played all season. They've got wins over Florida. They just beat UCLA. And nobody has said a damn word about Utah all season long. If you look at the Pac-12, everybody's talking about Colorado, Oregon, Washington. Even Washington State and Oregon State are getting buzzed. And here's the two-time defending Pac-12 champion that's 4-0 without its starting quarterback. And not a nary a peep. Like they are flying so far under the radar. And this is a team that, I mean, offensively, it's hard to judge them without rising because they're not at full strength yet. So I can't say for sure. But this is like a team that could, again, win the Pac 12 after all these other teams beat the hell out of each other. And Utah just comes up from the rubble as the smoke clears. And it's like, oh, we're Pac 12 champions again. Same exact story, different year. Mm-hmm. We do this every, I say we, like nationally. No one ever gives them credit. They always feel like, ah, oh, well, they're the tough, you know, guys that just play hard. And well, it's not pretty. There's yeah, exactly. been it's not. nothing that has been pretty from Utah this season through four games. You know what I learned? That upon further review, our guy Bud's playing chess and everybody else is playing checkers. Because, Bud, you said last week, I think they're going to hold Cam Rising out to the bye week. And everybody else was like, ooh, he's coming back this week. They saw him at walkthrough, and the line moves. It goes up to like six, six and a half. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait, what? What happened? Yeah, I think you were the only one that was on that. And the fact they play on a short week this week, again, like that's like, are you really going to – and I know he didn't play, but I think you might be onto something. Because the bye week's after that. Is that when it is? You know, yeah, they play on I, Friday they, night this week. Tough spot. Yeah, or short stay rest on the road. Short yeah. rest, road game. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I do thought with their offense, with UCLA's offense, I mean, the, the complexion of that game did change like right from the get go. It's like, uh oh, what are we doing? I thought it's so RPO based. They could have taken advantage of some things just in the quick passing game. Just give Dante Moore some easy, quick hitters, the outside, some hitches, slants, like really simple concepts. But it was so RPO based. It just. It looked a little clunky with him, like you're saying. Upon further review, between Dante Moore's pick six on the first play and Cade Klubnick throwing on that third and short, should we keep throwing these RPO plays? <laughs> oh, man. It was, hey, Danny, we, you haven't gotten a chance to, to weigh in. Like, we're, I know we're a couple days separated. It was even early. Yeah. Slate. Uh, um, you know, I, I, there was a, you know, there's a, there's a, a mole um, in, our, in our operation who said that your tone and tenor off camera and on camera were very different in terms well, of I mean, Florida State. I mean, when I'm watching Florida State, I'm going to be cheering for him. I'm going to be yelling at the TV like that's not very professional when I'm at the test. Um, so Some would, networks allow it. What's that? <laughs> Some networks allow it. That's true. I mean, like everybody at Fox roots for Colorado. That is true. Or Ohio State if you're calling the game. So you – so like I was watching that game on full. A couple things frustrated me. One was Florida State's lack of ability to run the football. Now, I do think this – I think a lot of it was – I think Jordan Travis's shoulder. I know it's his left shoulder, but I think it was bothering him more. He came out with a sling before the game. I think they were concerned about Jordan Travis running the football. I know they still ran him, but it was really fourth and one. we got to have this play. Let's run him. Down on the goal line. Got to get some yards here. We're going to run him. And I thought their lack of inability to run the football was concerning. Then it became – they just – abandoned the run entirely there was the sequence i think there was like six minutes left and you had three jordan travis like fade routes which are not high percentage even with six seven six four on the outside just kind of like let's try to complete this jump ball 
And I'm like, just mix in a run a little bit, work some clock, like just keep them honest somewhat. Um, and then thankfully you hit on, you know, Keon Coleman in overtime. Like you hit on a couple uh, to really turn that complexion around. I don't think it was pretty, but I thought that game was way more significant than the LSU game, even though I think LSU is the better opponent potentially. For what it meant, this felt like the final hurdle mentally. You know, beaten SEC teams, had some nice wins, but Clemson, it's been, what, six, seven years straight. They've kind of owned the ACC. So I thought it was monumental, and it doesn't matter what it looks like. Um, You just wanted to get the win. It's hard to win at Clemson. Clemson has not lost a game by more than a point at home in a decade. Like, like you're not going to blow Clemson out at Clemson unless they really self-destruct. And again, it's... It's been about a decade. Uh, upon further review for for them, they blitzed the absolute crap out of Klubnik over the over the final nine drives. Yeah, the second half. Zero, 11, 77. They got him on one. 31, 22, 17, 44, 13, 9, end of game. Like, they started blitzing. I mean, it was like half of the snaps. They were just sending more guys. And the key there is, like, they would get a first down, but Clemson did not make Florida State play for blitzing its ass off with the corresponding explosive plays that you want to get. Like that, Florida State got away with blitzing like crazy against Clemson's offensive line, which I thought played really well, actually. I mean, for the amount of pressure that they sent, they only got six tackles for loss. First half, the Clemson handled FSU's defensive line. I was very impressed. The inability to make Florida State pay with explosives for sending that many blitzes uh, was pretty key. But I thought like you got to be pretty encouraged about the offense though. Like Cade Klubnick, when they yeah. you know thought he played really well, he was composed, had him in a cha- you know had him in position to win the game. Like but Clemson's man, the top ten team to me still in my I, power. I ratings. think power yeah, ratings, yeah, like one hundred percent. They've just played two really tough games. Have you guys seen their schedule though? Yeah, it's still got not Dame, getting they easier. Got, yeah, are they going to lose on Saturday? You know, you get the music ready. Uh-huh. Get it ready. Do you know, do you do you know? Do, do you listener know where where the no. Clemson Tigers have to go in the wake of this game? It's a place that's electric. Close your eyes, please. Visualize this. You're in the carrier dome. The house is filled. The feeling is electric. The noise is deafening. You have a defense that is relentless. You have a special team that has been well coached. You have an offense that will not huddle. And you have a game that's faster than you've ever seen on turf. Open your eyes. That's going to be a reality. That's going to be Syracuse football. Such a banger. Such a banger. (laughs) How did they not use that before the game? I mean, seriously, (laughs) you need to send it to them. You need to get it there. How many like do you? Uh, how many wins do you think Clemson gets? Do you think they're a ten win team? They run the table. Only a, a nine win team. I think they're dropping another game. I think they're nine and three in the regular season, and that twelve year double digit win streak. It's going to have to like get one in the bowl game, and that'll be the biggest storyline of the Cheez It Bowl. Will that will that be like our reasoning <laughs> yeah. for taking Clemson in the Cheez It Bowl? It's like yes. they need this. They're going for it. They're, we we don't have to question their motivation. Yes. and I know I know Dabo is stubborn as anybody, but. Don't he's got to come to his senses on the transfer portal, right? Like, imagine an NFL team, but like, nope, we're only using the draft. That's it. Like, it just doesn't make Packers any sense. Did either. that for a very long time. You think <laughs> when they pass the collection plate, they're gonna like make a special notation like this is to be used for the portal? Yes, I think he'll come to his senses. Don't you? I mean, he he has to. Yes. Part of the reason Aaron Rodgers is a Jet is because the Packers were always refusing to go in free agency That's and true. sign guys. They I. There has to be at least um, – well, how about this? Do you think that they are going to be have their hand forced not by the inability to um, – but by the inability for wide receiver, an extra pass rusher, the things we have uh, detailed here, but what if it's portal exits? Hmm. You know, I don't know. Like, you don't 
typically see a lot of Clemson guys leaving through the portal, do you? No. No. Not not good ones. Yeah, like we we could poo-poo Dabo for like the culture stuff and all that and not wanting, you know, bringing our kind of guys, but there is some signal to that noise in that their guys don't leave. Oh yeah, I don't poo-poo it. Yeah. I, I mean it I think it might get overblown, but I I was mentioning Tyler Brown, who had another fantastic game. That that is the is a three star recruit from Greenville, South Carolina, and they're just like, nope. Now you're going to be one of our most explosive wide receivers with Antonio Williams out. Like the the number of times that that story has repeated itself over the last ten to twelve mm-hmm. years, like that's the evidence that you need that there is something to that. They did lose DJ, but that was probably more of a mutual thing than anything they lost the db to georgia remember he was like they i think they kind of kicked him off he was they? kind of booted yeah 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 yeah, yeah it's a but yeah i agree i think it's a great culture like trust me if i had a son that i'd be like go to clemson all day long i think it's a great culture i just think you're trying to win with one hand tied behind your back if you're not at least exploring the transfer portal predator it's meme like- danny cannell kirk herbstreet sending our sons to clemson <laughs> that's right <laughs> um, Remember when the Orioles in baseball refused to use the inter- international free agent market at all? No, that's it's kind of it's kind of similar. Like they they basically just kneecapped <laughs> themselves for no reason. Like why why are you playing one hand tied behind your back? Yeah. You can recruit at a super high level, still have misses. Everybody else is like, yeah, we're gonna fill some of those holes if we can. Clemson's like, no, we're gonna we're gonna punish ourselves by by not filling these holes. And they do use nil, like like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, they use nil, yeah. To reward, so use all of it. Use you, that's a great tool. Use the other one. Um, upon further review, I want to pose a question because if you want to be concerned or consider their strong start not representative of anything other than their schedule, I might take it. How good is Oklahoma? Because Oklahoma is four and zero, and Oklahoma made a pretty big jump in the rankings as they continue to win, but twenty to six at Cincinnati is not individually going to inspire confidence. Now, on a, a micro level, I have gotten the sense, especially from the people that are really close to the team, that you've identified a couple of spots where you do believe that this Oklahoma team has gotten better. I guess, Danny, what what are the Oklahoma vibes? What are you hearing from Dusty, or what do you think about where the Sooners can do? We are two weeks away from that Oklahoma-Texas game. Is that a game where you're looking at it? We're talking about Texas in the debate for number one team in the country does Oklahoma have the goods to be able to go toe-to-toe at, uh, in the Red River shootout? I don't think so. My, back, my guy Dusty does. I mean, he's very high on, on the Sooners, and he's been proven right so far. He was a little bit mad at me because on our show, I took Cincinnati in the points when it was over 14 and a half, so there was a little bit of like, oh, you got the lucky line. I'm like, no, I got the right line. Um, they've done everything. They've lo- they look great the first few weeks against subpar competition, and they make Butch Jones cry, and it's like, all right, this is great. <laughs> then they, that means that first road test, like real test that they had. They had the road game against Tulsa, I think, and they've, mm-hmm. like, they've looked the part, but like I still think they're probably a nine-win team. The win total was nine and a half. I was under it. I still feel pretty good about that, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not a knock against them. That nine-win season is great. It's a step in the right direction. I still think they're probably just – Filling things out. I'm also curious to know if Dylan Gabriel, who was great against some of the lesser competition, like is he the guy that's going to be able to go toe-to-toe in a game like against Texas, like against some of the other competition they're going to have to go through the rest of the season? My questions with this team are like, clearly the Arkansas State and Tulsa, they are fully capable of just absolutely spanking teams that they're a lot better than, and they have no fear about doing so. They have kind of struggled a little bit offensively against SMU and Cincinnati, which is a concern. But the one thing that they have done consistently week in and week out, they've played four games. They've allowed 34 points. Right. Defensively, they have been pretty solid. And when you think back to the Lincoln-Riley years, the concerns about that team every year were defensively they just don't exist. Brent Venables has clearly fixed that pretty quickly, or at least is still in the process of fixing it. So because of that, I think they've got a shot to beat Texas. It's just... If it gets into the situation where they have to score points, okay, I know you can do it against Tulsa. I know you can do it against Arkansas State, kind of like we've talked about a lot with like the Dylan Gabriel Jackson Arnold thing. Do you have the horses on offense to keep up with Texas if Texas is clicking and scoring points against you? That is what it's going to come down to. Yeah, they uh, let's rank the quarterbacks that Oklahoma has faced so far. Huh. As an exercise. This is a good 
Bud's greatest hits. This is a reprise, encore right. performance. I think it's overwhelmingly Emory Jones, who's not a good football player. He's just fine. Like he's like a like a bottom half power five quarterback. Preston Stone too. Preston Stone too. Who I mean, has I think Preston this year. Stone might be one. Okay, fair, but like neither of these guys are top power five, (laughs) right? Like Preston Stone's not great. Um, The Arkansas State, who's now the backup because he got beaten out, and then Tulsa's third stringer. I think Oklahoma's defense is like a Simon Sound. They play hard. On a down-to-down basis, SMU played with those guys in Norman. Two, Two turnovers really kind of flipped that game on its head, which count. But are they repeatable? We'll see. Offensively, they don't really have a, a serious number one right now. Andre Anthony may be that guy. Maybe I'm a little slow on the uptake there. Gabriel is a like a, a fine slash good college quarterback. The better teams will challenge him to make the throws to the wide side of the field. Uh, the the teams they've played so far really can't. He, you know what Dylan Gabriel would be, and he is like he's a really good seven on seven quarterback. You know, like he can shred you apart if he's got he, time. He's Twelve. That's like, that describes a lot of quarterbacks, by the way, too. Like, I mean, I think I said the same thing about Shador before the Oregon game. Like, if it was seven on seven, it'd be an incredible game. I just and I know there's a lot of push. I just wonder if Jackson Arnold could be the quarterback finishing up the season for the Sooners. Like, if there's an opportunity, does he bring more to the table? I think clearly he does. Is he ready? Well, I think we'll have to kind of watch and see how it plays out. You mentioned how Jackson Daly played against uh, Arkansas, not the new quarterback, Jalen Rayner. You know who thinks Jalen Rayner is the best quarterback in the country? Southern Miss, yeah. which allowed about five total touchdowns to Jalen Rayner. The guy threw for like Bombs. three bills, three mm-hmm. touchdowns. He had like two long touchdown runs as well, five total TDs. Yo, that was yeah. not, not a good look, Southern Miss. Sorry for you, bud. Dude, seriously. Uh, also, Oklahoma's schedule is extremely favorable. Yes. Yeah. Like, if Oklahoma can find a way to go 12 and one and the ones like a regular season to Texas, but they end up like somehow getting revenge on Texas in the big 12 title game. That is uh that's a, a team that's going to make the playoff. I, I think like a, a one loss big 12 champ probably makes the playoff this year, depending on, on what happens in some of the other leagues. Like obviously a one loss big 12 is going to lose out to a one loss pack 12 unless that team is Texas. I think because they'll have the win at Alabama, but and they're gonna. There's not many games that you really think they can lose, right? No, they they are like, on the road at. They've got Texas, and they are on the road at Kansas, and then it would only be you dropping to the level of your competition. You going to Provo in late November and corking it, right? I mean, you right. it would be a self. Be a tough game, game though. Like UCF at home with UCF's backup, who I thought UCF did a great job of scheming up, by the way. Uh, probably shouldn't lose at home in Norman to UCF's backup. Assuming Plumlee's not, or John Rice is not back by then. This this schedule's a gift. Yeah. Um. Any, but while we get the uh, the drive to three twenty five uh, teed up, um, what what else for upon further review stands out from the weekend? Upon further review, we talked about Minnesota blowing it against Northwestern on the show, although none of us t- had seen it really until the very end on Saturday night. I-, I went and watched it, expecting to see Minnesota like committing a bunch of dumb mistakes that allowed Minnesota or allowed Northwestern to get back in the game. They really didn't. Like something happened. I don't know, like some sort of miracle in the fourth quarter. Northwestern's offense just started playing competently, snap after snap after snap, and moving the ball down the field and scoring. I can't remember the last time I saw Northwestern offense look that good. Minnesota. Yikes. And Minnesota's been a good defense. Like, I don't know. It was it was it was very, very strange. I was like, what the hell is happening here? But no. Um upon further oh, go ahead. But upon further review. Cam Ward needs to be in the Heisman conversation. We might have egregiously left him out when we did our whole. Do we talk? Do we bring him up when we did the whole who can win the Heisman? Because he absolutely should be in the conversation with what he's doing. He's got two of the bigger wins uh, of the season against Wisconsin. What he did uh, against Oregon State uh, Saturday night was phenomenal. His story's great coming up through the FCS ranks. He is pretty. He is a dynamic quarterback. He is fun to watch play. Do you 13 know the problem? touchdowns, zero interceptions uh, <laughs> right now. 
third I'm in the sorry. country in passing yardage game. The the problem for Cam Ward is that he plays Colorado in the second to last game of the year. And uh, by that time, Colorado will have turned back into a pumpkin fully. And like like the national media won't be caring about this story, won't be putting it on national television. So like Caleb and Bo are getting the full national treatment to put their four or five hundred yards up on Colorado and impress all the voters nationally. By week funny, eleven, we won't like, be watching the Colorado the, Washington. Well then, like, what about the very next game when he's going up against Michael Penix? That will be a really good good test. But I'm saying, like, when you play Colorado is going to matter in the Heisman race. If you he's get the all that matters matters for, Michael Penix doesn't even get him. Penix all that matters for Cam Ward is he keeps that Lee Corso photo up in the locker to keep him motivated every single week because poor Lee Corso. Yeah, <laughs> they. I don't even know. Did we get the accurate? Assessment: What he said was that the no one watches bowl. He said no, no one, one wants them, them bowl. No one okay. wants us. And Dicker thought he said, he no, said one no one watches. watches. Which I mean, of all that, like <laughs> I wrote about it today in the Monday after. Like between going after Lou Holtz and going after <laughs> Lee Corso, like is Sister Jean gonna get dragged under a bus <laughs> here next week? Like anybody over ninety, you better watch what you say because college football coaches are listening. Well, yeah, was it? Uh, my buddy Ben Swain, he said, college football news from yesterday is all the coaches who won are mad. Mm-hmm. Madder than ever. Yeah. yeah. Hey, listen, how about this? Galaxy brain theory. Uh, the This is the end of Sabinization, okay? Deion Sanders has issued, has taken college football coaching into the WWE era. It is all about your sound clip. It is all about firing up your base, getting a pop out of the crowd. Like this is no longer about being deadpan, Belichickian, not going to give you anything because that's what we've seen from Ryan Day, from Jake Dickert, from obviously Deion Sanders himself. That is the new sell as a college football coach is you are cutting a promo anytime that you've got that microphone in front of you and whatever you can say to be able to create a moment like that is another sort of like turning uh, that we've seen, at least in terms of the way that coaches uh, handle themselves. You can give Dion the credit for it if you want. I think it just goes back to the fact that the sport is just directly run by television executives now. So they're turning it all into a television show. I would say so, well, like social media or like, you know, the way that it's promoted, everything in terms of the little clips, the, I mean, cutting a promo. But what did you see? Like right? when you watched, when you watched a highlight show on Saturday and they showed the Colorado, Oregon highlights, did you see more highlights of the game or did you see more Dan Lanning talking in the locker room? It was all more Dan Lanning. Exactly. Yeah. Not, but um, have you guys, I mean, I, I guess as a society, we're all leaning into this WWE mm-hmm. character. Like, let's go way over the top. I mean, everybody on a certain network, and I would say all networks, the cover, like, it's you got to, you know, you just play a part almost more than analyzing the games. I think everybody's leaning into it, and the coaches are just like, all right, let's go. We can we can play this game, too. If it works, people watch. It's exciting. It's fun. And I think it's great. That's I mean, a good point. It's it's coming from outside too. It's yeah, not yeah. just an inside yeah. college yeah. football thing. Like first take and whatever these other shows are, are are called during the day. Like I I watched a couple of clips from there. It was ridiculous. Like I I'm glad the way we've approached it. Like clearly, like you have to lean into it a little bit because YouTube is just juicing all the numbers like crazy on anything Colorado. Like you can put out the like the laziest Colorado segment if you wanted to, you would still do numbers. But like we try to cater to the college football fans not the people who just started watching college football it's kind of what we're talking about on on saturday night like we're still going to have our college ball audience on halloween i'm not sure what some of these shows that have gone full that will pivot to right like will the audience notice will the audience care this league nba yeah damian lillard can you believe what he said about not wanting to play for toronto next after the break right yes exactly um, all right, let's, let's get the, the drive to 325 up Ooh. here. Uh, Bud, why don't you walk through it? All right. Uh, clearly, things are not <laughs> the donut. Golly. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, that was that was tough to watch. Um, you know, we we, uh, we we saw they needed to get 13 in order for Brian Fer- Brian Ferentz. Uh, I'll still I, I won't wrong name him. Brian Ferentz to keep his job or the contract not to be terminated. We will continue to monitor this because it only gets more hilarious week after week. I am not sure that Iowa's offensive staff and the head coach aren't just playing this way to give a huge middle finger to the administration, right? Like, there's no way that you would – I talked to a guy on a staff that's played them, and he basically told me, like, it looks like they don't try. 
Like they literally just try to play a certain way just to, just to piss off their administration. Like, okay. <laughs> How are you tanking a season just trying to give a middle finger to an administration? They want to, they want to win their way. Like they, their receivers have 14 catches on the season. Like if you're a receiver at Iowa, I, I want to I double check that because somebody sent me that this morning. I probably shouldn't say it without being officially correct about it, but I'm fairly sure that's right. All right. Yeah. Uh, t- yeah, we got four, six, that's 10, and another four. Yeah. If you're Iowa's receivers, why the hell do you go to practice? I mean, like, <laughs> can you imagine going to practice and as a group, you've caught 14 passes? What What are your meetings like in your position group meetings if you have 14 passes caught? At least if, I mean, granted, like, buyer beware, you should know if you're a receiver, don't go to Iowa. But, like, they're, that's, like, worse than the service academies. Do you know how many scholarship receivers they had on Saturday? On the roster, three. Well, they shouldn't have any. They had four. Okay. I mean, they're wow. they're pretty beat up on offense with injuries. Like the Lachey thing is the big one, but they're just overall their running backs are down. They've got a bunch of receivers hurt. I mean, they had four scholarship receivers in that game. There's nobody to throw to <laughs> to catch so, the ball right now. Uh, Bud's projections, or you know, what they need to hit with those 13 points that they did not score against Penn State, reallocated. They need 24 against Michigan State, 35 against Purdue, 20 against Wisconsin, 24 against Minnesota, 35 against Northwestern, 30 against Rutgers, 24 against Illinois and Nebraska, and 21 in a bowl game. Do we think they get 24 against Michigan State? Um, they could. I'm thinking it might be time to fade Sparty, right? I mean, yeah, they... I got Sparty on quit watch. Mm. So, yes, I think, you know, what? they're going to score 26 points against Michigan State on Saturday. They are going to get ahead of schedule. Should Iowa be on quit watch? Nah. Like nah. that defense has slipped. That's not the defense that we thought it was. I see. I thought I, I talked about that last week. I thought in the first half that defense played very well. But again, as we went over Saturday night, Penn State had 97 snaps to Iowa's 33. They just got worn the hell down in the second half. Good point. Um, all right. Army has 27 receiver uh, passes caught in the year. Iowa has 14. Whoa. Well, I mean, why? Uh, seriously, got an like, artillery. <laughs> so any any other uh, upon further review? Uh, no. Are you concerned that USC played with its food so much? No. We see teams do that every year. Florida State did it last week against Boston College. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes you just go on the road against a team you assume you're going to beat, and it's like, oh, okay, we're going to actually have to try. Oh, this is actually something I did, I did want to bring up. Normally, so USC is favored by 24 at Colorado, right? Well, I thought it was more. Is it 24? I, I mean, I haven't checked it in a couple hours, but it, somewhere around there. M- more than a three-touchdown favorite. Generally, that is not a look-ahead game. I was talking to Richard Johnson of Sports Illustrated about this this morning because he, he went to the Oregon game, and I'd ask him, I'm like, are they really that small in person? Yeah, okay. Uh, that's a look-ahead game. Like, you can absolutely tell me that USC was looking ahead to Colorado because all the kids on that team are going are gonna to know, like, that's a real big national TV thing. And then if you watch the Oregon players on TikTok, like, they were dragging those Colorado players. It was all, like, the the, the fake Rolex and – you know, scuff our logo and all. Like, they really got after him pretty good. So, like, the coaches may be fired up to coach against Dion. The the players are absolutely fired up to play against Colorado's players because of all, all the love they got. Now, here's the problem. If you're, like, a Georgia, you know you're going to get everybody's fastball every, every single week. If you're a team that's power rated appropriately in, like, the 70s, which I do think is probably – about right for this team like that's not a top half college ball team in the country they're definitely not bottom like 30 but they're probably somewhere between like 55 and 85 you're not used to getting everybody's fastball every week Mm. and they are going to get everybody's best shot every single week like that's not something that a roster like that has to deal with normally that's something like a georgia or a michigan not a a, a roster like that that's going to be interesting there's something, too, about the fight they showed in the second half, but there's also something to see in Shadour out there late in the fourth quarter just to get points. They got to yeah. be careful with him. That game's over. Like, you got to get him out and make sure he's healthy. You know? Yep. You saw Weaver went down, right? Mm-hmm. La- oh, la- yeah. Last play of the game. Hmm. <sighs> so that means we're down our two of our three best pass catchers, or I guess four if you want to include Dylan Edwards, since they don't run the ball. They don't have a traditional run game in that offense right now. 
I don't know if he's not going to play. I just, I, I, I know he went down. I know he was on the training table. Um, we'll see. Well, will be interesting again. That USC Colorado game is a 9 a.m. Pacific time kickoff, noon Eastern time. Um, body clocks, first half under. Body clocks, first half under. That's how we'll get it done. All right, we will be back on Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern time for big game breakdowns and more as we look ahead to week five. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Fred Elliott 3. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See ya.